Join us as we discover uncommon history with author Brian Bush. History is full of extraordinary tales of questionable characters, outlaws, heroes, and thought-provoking narratives passed down from generation to generation like Grandma's Recipes. These real-life stories and exaggerations of fiction have helped shape our culture and created a larger-than-life accounts of the legend. Each week, we will uncover fun facts of historical events, interesting places, famous people, and everything in between. Subscribe now on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeart, YouTube, or your favorite podcast listening app to listen to the show for free. So grab your sweet tea, your fried green tomatoes, and pull up a chair as we uncover little-known facts of uncommon history. Hello and welcome to Uncommon History. I'm Brian. And I'm Harold. Harold, we just finished up the Parable Celebration in Parable, Kentucky. It was the 160th yes. uh, anniversary of the Battle of Paraville. Yes. You had one of your engines. Which one? What, you want to tell about the engine you had set up there? Well, we... Uh, down, this is downtown yeah, we Parable. we had it downtown, and uh, we rented some, and uh, had a little trouble with it wanting to run too fast, so we didn't run it as much as we normally would, but uh, we got to do some work on it this winter. Um, we had it to a couple festivals this year, and uh, uh, but... Uh, I mean, it was just about the perfect weekend. The weather was beautiful. Absolutely great. Huge crowds at the park, huge crowds downtown. And how many of the reenactors did they actually do? Did you ever hear a final uh, I'm count? I'm thinking 1,200, 1,500 reenactors. That's big, right, yes. in that world. I mean, that's yes. a lot yes. of people and it's, from it's, all over the United States. Yes, uh, from Florida and all over, yes. You know, and the great thing, it's kind of spread out. You have the, the celebration and the reenactment going on at the park, and then downtown Paraville is celebrating as well. And we had a lot of people come by the booth. Yes. I've uh, got to meet some new friends and I've uh, got to talk to some old friends. Our, our friends from the Murder Police podcast, David and Wendy. Yes. Came by and seen us and brought us some free gifts, which is always nice. I enjoyed meeting them. I talked to them, but I had never got to meet them. Yeah. And they talked like maybe they, they want us to come over and do a podcast with That'd them. That'd be great. So, that would be great. All right. So, what do you have for us today in Kentucky history? Today in Kentucky history is October 28th. In 1962, ground was broken for a 750-seat amphitheater in Pioneer Memorial Park at Fort Old Fort Herod in Harrodsburg. Wow. Now, I remember years ago going there seeing the legend of Daniel Boone, and it was just magical. It was at night, and they, the Native Americans was firing arrows with flaming arrows. and they, it was a, it, we, I really enjoyed it. I tried to go at least once a year. Well, I, I hate to admit this, but um, my last memory of the uh, Fort Herod is the Turtle Man pulling snakes out oh. <laughs> <laughs> on his show. You know, I don't know where that stands today. If they're still doing a, a play over there or not, but the amphitheater's still there, um, and I knew they. I know they use it some, but I'm just not, I haven't kept up with it lately. Uh, the other thing happened on this date in history in 1971, Kentucky. A pictorial history was published by J. Winston Coleman at the University of Kentucky Press. So this must be a slow week for history in Kentucky. Sounds like it. Sounds like it, yeah. Nothing earth-shaking happened on Other than your wife's birthday, Miss Lori, we want to wish her a happy it birthday. It is. This is like the 15th time she's celebrated 
her 29th birthday. Yeah, well, so. bless your heart. She's a sweet lady. <laughs> she Happy is. Happy birthday, Lori. She, uh, I, I married up. I'll be the first one to yes, admit. Yes, did. <laughs> All right, so here we have a special guest tonight. Uh, he studied history at the University of Louisville, is the current parks director at the Perryville Battlefield in Perryville, Kentucky, and the author of 11 books. Welcome, Brian Bush. Welcome, Brian. Thank you. Thank you for having me this evening. Well, I, I, you know, you and I know one another, and I've known you a long time, and I've known your interest in history a long time. And uh, I assume, but I don't, won't take for granted, you're kind of like me. I was born that way. How about you? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, luckily, I had uh, good parents. And uh, when I was a little kid, Mom would uh, uh, take me to all sorts of historical sites. And one of my earliest memories, I can remember when I was six years old, Mom took me to Fort uh, Lauderdale, and, uh, you know, everybody wants to go to the beach. No, she took me to the fort, and uh, I still remember, and this is, you know how it is, Harold. You yep. get black powder in your blood, and you can't get it out. Right. So they fired a cannon, and I remember after they fired the cannon, I stuck my hand inside the tube and got that black powder all on my hand. Then I didn't know. I just wiped it on my shirt, and, boy, my mama got so mad. <laughs> Smell good too, didn't it? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh, I can. That smell still sticks with me. That and being a reenactor for so many years, just that unique smell of of firewood and the campfire. I yes. mean, when I smell that, I'm going like, ooh, that's a reenactment somewhere. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, uh, for people that don't know, uh, black powder has sulfur in it, so when when you shot it, it it smells like a rotten egg i yeah. mean that's the best way i know how to it's describe like sulfur it. yeah yeah it's it's like sulfur mm -hmm. sulfur water if you've ever smelled it but it's got a strong <laughs> rotten smell to it but uh <laughs> but i agree uh there's something about sitting around a campfire and in a historic place too and it doesn't have oh, to be a yeah. civil war battlefield it could be any place but being a part of nature and being absorbed in the environment and it's just special and uh, if people haven't tried that, you should. Uh, maybe it's not for everybody, but for people like me and you, we uh, we uh, are attracted to that, and we uh, feel akin to it. Uh, I have a special affection for historic places and 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 old ways of living. Uh, Brian, uh, you've written eleven books, and that's well, amazing. Well, actually, I'm up to. 16 now. 16. Oh. I'm sorry. Well, we had yep. 11. I could only we, find 11. So, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, some you know, of them are out of print now. Well, um, you know, for a guy your age, that's a lot of books. You've, you've worked hard and you've, you know, your history and there's no question about it. Uh, I just finished the one you did, uh, on Burbage, the butcher Burbage. Oh, general Steve. Yeah. Butcher yeah. Burbage. And you know, oh, I've yeah. been a big, uh, researcher on the guerrilla warfare in Kentucky and uh, Frank and Jesse James and Quantrail and all that stuff. And, and Burbage had a part in that. And, uh, oh, you but never what, that one. what is your favorite? Uh, do you have a favorite book or subject that you've, you've researched and done? You know, it's almost, you know, choosing which child you like the best, but, uh, <laughs> I, I tell you my Burbage book, that was, I, I, I kid you not, that was an eye opener. I had no idea that went on in the state of Kentucky. Because, uh, you know, all, as they always say, to the victor uh, writes the history. So, right. uh, yeah, that really gets covered up a lot about I had no idea about Order Number 69. 
uh, in case the folks out there don't know what that is, that was a very controversial order that Burbridge gave saying that for every Union soldier or Union sympathizer killed by a quote-unquote Confederate guerrilla, he selected four Confederate guerrillas out of the local prison and executed them on the spot where that happened. They were retaliatory executions. They had nothing to do with the original crime. And then, of course, uh, I was really floored by the hog swindle of 1864, and that was a big one. Um, a lot of people, everybody thinks Kentucky. They think horses, tobacco, and bourbon. But, you know, at that time, uh, Kentucky was second only to Cincinnati for the most hog producing in the United States. Mm -hmm. And they got in on this little scheme that they're going to cook up where the procurement agents for the Union Army would go out there and and uh, say, okay, I know you've got hogs, and you're probably going to sell them over to Indiana on the border, or you're going to sell it to the Confederacy down in Tennessee. Well, you have to sell them to our procurement agents. Well, the procurement agents were buying the hogs three cents under market, but selling it back to the Union government at market price. Mm -hmm. So by the time they caught up with it, um, the hog farmers were crying bloody murder uh, to the president, and Lincoln actually had to give it, uh, tell them to look into it. Uh, they made over a million and a half dollars. That's that time money. Well, Boy, that's, that's a, a lot, lot of money today, wouldn't it? That is a lot of money. So Ten million today, that's probably. one of the yeah. books I, I was fascinated in writing. It just opened my eyes up on how bad guerrilla warfare really was in this state. Well, you know, uh, uh, in one of our podcasts, Brian, I I, uh, I was contacted some years ago by uh, some researchers and uh, try to make this brief, uh, there was a guerrilla, uh, um, excuse me, a soldier that was killed in Bloomfield, Kentucky, executed by that, by that order that we were talking about. Uh, yes, I think his name was May Hamilton, and uh, his family had searched for him for years, and when they found his grave in the Bloomfield Cemetery, they wanted to bring him home. And so I knew where the grave was, and so they contacted me, and I went down with the coroners and the proper authorities, and basically we dug him up and took him back home. Oh, so, wow. uh, th yeah, that, that was a, that was a opening thing for me to be a part of because that made it real when you see the grave, you know, that made oh, it definitely. real. Um, I've been to most of the execution sites where he did it. One was a 70 year old Presbyterian minister. All he did was speak out against Lincoln and was arrested. I've been to his grave. It's in uh, Jefferson, uh, J town, Kentucky, just a little suburb outside of Louisville. Uh -huh. And then I also went to the one in Midway where he executed four soldiers. And it actually says on the grave, um, General Butcher's uh, Martyrs. Uh -huh. uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's just fascinating. Um, some of those boys, they, they had nothing to do with guerrilla warfare or anything, did they? They, they, they were just. No, well, of course, it's hard. One to... of them is uh, Lindsey. Um, uh, oh, I'll think of it. Uh, not Duke. Yeah, Duke. It was the nephew of. Uh, a Buckner, I'm sorry, it's Buckner. He was the nephew of General Buckner. He was riding with Morgan, got captured, and Burbridge specifically singled him out because he knew what an impact that would have been. Uh -huh. And he tried him as a guerrilla, but he wasn't a guerrilla. Mm -hmm. He was in the regular Confederate Army. Yeah, that, that, was a, uh, that was a controversial thing, too, to find what guerrilla warfare versus uh, guerrillas that were uh, living outside the law, you might say, or outside of norms for uh, w uh warfare um some consider john hunt morgan a guerrilla but he used yeah i guess guerrilla tactics but he he waged war within the bounds of 
uh, the government and representing uh, other than himself. But these these outlaws on both sides, they were, you know, Terrell's bunch and the union oh, yeah. group and all I mean, those. They yeah, were union. Yeah, people tend to forget there was a union gorilla, and you're right, that's Terrell. Yeah. He went around Brandenburg and that whole area trying to hunt down Sue Monday and Quantrell and all those guys. Right, right. Um, what else, uh, what are the books that have you enjoyed doing, Brian, that our listeners might like to hear about? Well, I'll tell you, another book I enjoyed was Lincoln and his friendship with the Speeds, the Speed family. Mm-hmm. Of course, if you go to U of L and you can't avoid that name, you got the, you know, the Speed Planetarium and you got the Speed uh, School of in- Industry and Technology. I mean, uh, those are all related to that Speed family. Of course, James Speed was Lincoln's attorney general in 1864 mm-hmm. uh, and actually took eyewitness testimony after Lincoln was assassinated. Mm-hmm. Um, and then also Jay- uh, Joshua Speed was probably Abraham Lincoln's best friend. So that was kind of they, those two brothers were literally the eyes and ears for Lincoln in Kentucky. Yes. Uh, and then another book that I really, really enjoyed is my book on the Gilded Age in Louisville, Kentucky. Had no idea how many firsts there were in Louisville. Um, for example, one of them was B.F. Avery. And Avery was the largest plow manufacturer in the world, not just the United States, but the world. Uh-huh. Um, another gentleman named John Colgain, um, he was from Louisville. He was a pharmacist and there was this company that was going to use this substance and it was worthless. So he bought everything that they had and was, it was made from the Tulu plant. So he made a chewing gum, add some of his flavors that he came up as a pharmacist and called it Taffy Tulu. <laughs> and it was one of you very early, it, it was bubble gum. Basically he invented wow. gum. Wow. And uh, then he was way ahead of his time. He had like a um, one gum that he put in a circular circular tin, and then inside of it he put pictures of baseball players, wow. hoping the kids will buy it because they had baseball pictures, and the kids would trade these little pictures of baseball players. So I bet yeah, you they were almost... able today if you could find one. Oh yeah, you, you can have... find them on eBay ever so often. Really, you've seen them? So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen them. Well, this it kind of brings up a subject. We we mentioned this in one of our past podcasts, but uh, did you know that the, the uh, Santa Ana, you know, of the Alamo fame, mm-hmm. you know, later in life, you know, after he was captured and the and uh, he went, uh, he kind of exiled there for a while. And I think I don't know, I can't remember the whole story, but he ended up trying to become a U.S. citizen and helped find found Wrigley chewing gum. Well, I'll be. <laughs> I mean, I just blew my mind. They never let him become a U.S. citizen. There was too much uh, water under that bridge, you might say. But he, <laughs> I think he had some connections with rubber trees or something. And, and he worked with this Wrigley. And somewhere or another, he had could, they had worked out a deal. And he was one of the founders of Wrigley Chewing Gum. I just blew my mind when I'll I be. read that. Huh. Read everything. <laughs> History has some strange <laughs> twists to it. Strange oh, you got that one right, definitely. Yeah. So and how everybody's so interconnected sometimes. It is. It is really amazing. Uh, I mean, it, it, what's it? Five degrees of separation. Yeah, six degrees of six separation. Degrees of separation. Yep, yep, yep. I'm beginning to realize <laughs> that's more and more true. Brian, you got a? Have you got a question or anything? No. Okay. Uh, what's uh, in the Civil War world? 
Brian, in, in your as a park manager and as a author and everything, what do you think right now that do you have a feel for what people are most interested in? I tell you, being a park manager at Perryville and the guests that come visit us, um, they like that connection. They they they're looking for their ancestor and you know how many people I get almost all the time. You'd be amazed at how many people we get from the 21st Wisconsin that come in the museum uh, looking for their relative. Uh-huh. Uh, and I tell you, I really, what makes my day is when somebody comes in, like, for example, I had a lady that came in. She had no idea where her relative was buried. He died on October 10th of 1862 from disease after the Battle of Perryville. So... She said, can you help me find him? Because on his records, I looked it up. It says, just says buried Perryville. That's it. I'm like, woo, this is going to be a tough one. Uh, so I did some digging for, and as some folks may or may not know, I'm a, I was the official Civil War tour guide for Cave Hill Cemetery, and I still give tours out there occasionally. I just gave one a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I thought, you know what? They reinterred a lot of people from the Civil War at Cave Hill Cemetery. So I took a guess, and I found him. Uh, his name was Robert Robertson, and he found his tombstone as number 1298. He was one of the people interred, uh, was just found around the general Perryville area and reinterred at Cave Hill. And it just says Ohio. It doesn't say that he was with the 98th Ohio Infantry. Uh-huh. So I told the lady, I said, you know, you can request a brand new tombstone. They're free. All you have to do is request it and Cave Hill will help you place it. And uh, I said, you can put his unit on it. You can put 98th Ohio and even put his death date. You can put October 10th, 1862, Battle of Perryville. So she was real thrilled about that. And I just found another lady. I found out her relatives was the same way. Um, and he was uh, buried at... Uh, uh, cave hill i found his grave too so well how popular uh, is you know is the civil war and battlefields i mean is there still interest or is it dying off oh, with the new yeah. generations or how do you comp- you know what's it i guess realistically is there is there still as much enthusiasm as there used to be with you know with the new generations or uh i think with this generation um it's slacked off a little bit I noticed that in reenacting, it's really kind of died off. Uh, it was nice to see at the reenactment, I did see some young people. And that made my heart lift up a little bit, but it's just not like it used to be. Um, and you, I think there's just all sorts of different factors and reasons for it. That's why I was going to comment. I, it's Well, I think one thing, too, is I don't know if we teach history like we used to. Um, I know, well, I know we don't, but I, I don't know how much that has to do with it. Now, I have to be honest with people about my interest in history was there long before I went to school. Uh, you know, as a child growing up, I would go in the mm-hmm. library and check out history books. You know, uh, I, I remember the first one of the first books I ever checked out was Matthew Brady's Pictorial History of the Civil War. And for go. those that don't know, Matthew Brady was a famous photographer during that period. And I would study those photographs and study those images. And the reason it fascinated me so much is I knew that was the origin of photography. That was the er- some of the earliest photography. I think I saw one picture in 1847 or something, maybe of the Mexican War, 
There was a couple mm-hmm. of images that have survived, but basically, when the war came, that was you know when you don't you're not only looking at soldiers and things, but you're looking in the background at the houses, the terrain. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you learn a lot by just studying pictures, and uh, I think that was my. I didn't have a class or anything that, you know, that really piqued my interest. I mean, I, it was just there, and I cannot explain that. I don't. I'll tell you how it. my interest. You know, mom would take me, like I said, to different historical sites. But what got me going? I don't even think they do this in high school anymore. They told us to do genealogy. You know, find out your family roots. Mm-hmm. And so I started tracing my ancestors on my grandma's side and my dad and in my mom's side. And, and before you know it, on my dad's side of the family, I start tripping over Civil War ancestors that fought both for the uh, typical Kentucky and I had relatives on both sides. And that mm-hmm. really got it going. And then when I was in undergraduate school, I was lucky I had some Civil War courses. And uh, then when I went, uh, once I got my undergraduate degree from Murray State University in history and psych, um, I went about 10 years. That's when I started writing books. Um, my first one was the Civil War Battles of the Western Theater, which is a nice coffee, coffee table book. That was when I was uh, the assistant manager at the Civil War Museum in Bardstown, Kentucky. Right. At that time, it was ranked fourth best in the nation. And both me and you, Harold, know Steve Munson and right. Jack Harrison and all them. Uh, that's how I met you, actually, yes. is at a Civil War show. So right. well, you and Ken Hamilton, too. Yes, yes. Uh, Brian, tell us some something interesting about the Cave Hill Cemetery in Louisville, Kentucky. Uh, Cave Hill is one of those odd cemeteries where, I mean, it was there during the Civil War. It was there before the Civil War, actually, uh, through, uh, uh, through the Kentucky General Assembly. Uh, they applied for a charter to run a cemetery, and they started burying bodies there as early as uh, 1848. And they're getting ready to celebrate their uh, 200th anniversary. And um, I was uh, kind of amazed that, you know, uh, they gave tours out there of some of the historical figures. And, and I started stumbling across Civil War characters, and I, I met uh, Michael Higgs, who's the director of the Found- Heritage Foundation there at Cave Hill, and I said, you know what, can I give a Civil War tour here? And it just kind of took off. All my Civil War tours are absolutely booked at Cave Hill when I used to give them. And um, I wrote a book on it called Resting in Peace, Cave Hill Cemetery in the Civil War. And I got uh, civilians in there, uh, Joshua Speed's buried there, James Speed's buried there. Um, now, the Speed's- very fast. Before we blow by that, Brian, uh, yeah. you know, you've been to Farmington, haven't you? Oh, yes, many now, times. Now, that's Speed. Now, which Speed was that? That was a Lincoln associate, and I'm trying to remember. Well, that was the Joshua and James Speed's parents' yes. uh, house. Okay, and Lincoln and, had visited uh, there, correct? That that's is correct. Their claim yeah, to fame. When he broke up with Mary Todd, um, a lot of people probably don't remember this. If you're a Lincoln expert, you know all about this. But, yeah, he broke up with Mary Todd at one point because he thought he couldn't provide for her when he was living in Springfield, Illinois. So he was good friends with Joshua Speed. They had met when Joshua Speed set up a store in Springfield, Illinois. Um, both young men, uh, Lincoln just become a lawyer. Joshua broke away from the Speed family to make it on his own. And he went out west, which that at that time, that was the west, Springfield, Illinois, mm-hmm. and uh, set up a general store. And Lincoln had no money, 
and Joshua said he felt so sorry for that tall, lanky man. He said, you know what, just move upstairs. I got an extra room. And they became the best of friends. Um, so the, that's when, um, Joshua actually went back when his father died to settle affairs at Farmington. Well, at just the same time, Lincoln had broken up with Mary Todd at that point. And he said, well, come on down here to Louisville, Kentucky, and come on out to Farmington. And he, Lincoln stayed there for three weeks. Mm-hmm. And um, that's actually one of the first exposures that Lincoln had gotten to slavery. Uh, because when they were heading on a, a, a steamboat back to Springfield, Illinois, from Louisville, Lincoln saw slaves. And as Lincoln said, he said, you know what? He said it looked like fish on a trout line, six and six joined together. And it left on an impression on Lincoln that he never forgot. Uh-huh. And of course, he unfortunately had a tooth that had to be pulled in Louisville. And he'll never uh, forget uh, uh, one of the Speeds, uh, the mother of Joshua Speed, uh, ended up giving Lincoln peaches and cream to help <laughs> cure his pain after his tooth was pulled. <laughs> Might have a little something else in it, too. Oh, <laughs> uh, Yeah. <laughs> Well, but, you know, uh, Farmington is that owned by the University of Louisville? I know it's it's open to the public, and I was I took a tour there a year or two ago. Um, is is who? It's not a state park, is it? Is no, 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 no. no. Uh, uh-uh. it's privately owned. It's um, um, the university, Spalding University, or is it Spalding? Is it, yeah. No, uh, Bellarmine. I'm Bell- sorry, Bellarmine. Yes, Bellarmine. Yeah, sorry. Bellarmine. I think Bellarmine owns that. Yes. Yeah. But anyway, you for our listeners, you you know, it, unless something's changed, you can go through that. Uh, it, it, they do a great job. Oh yeah, you can still go through it's it, a, and it's a beautiful architecture, a neat neat place. I highly recommend it. Yeah, um, they think that uh, through some of the research they've done is that um, one of the speeds had a relative in Virginia, and actually visited Thomas Jefferson's house, uh, Monticello, and they kind of based Farmington as you first come in through the portico that dome just like it is at the at uh, monticello so right. but it, oh yeah it's an absolutely it, gorgeous house and very unique architecture for kentucky and especially oh very unique time. yeah uh really neat um anything else about cave hill cemetery that we ought to you know I, I i tell you when i think of cave hill i think of zachary taylor i think of uh, a few years ago you remember there was a uh they disinterred his body and tested it that there was a theory that he had been poisoned. Yes. Uh, and can you talk about that a little bit? Or do you know about that? Well, actually, he's buried at the Zachary Taylor National Cemetery. Oh, okay. And they thought he was, that's where he's buried. He's buried on his family plot. And okay. uh, I've got that mixed up with Cave Hill. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, oh, yeah, that's Zachary all right. Taylor. Yeah, but yeah, you're right. They thought he was poisoned uh, because he died. Um, and everybody suspected he might have been poisoned. So they actually did a test on his hair, which actually your hair is the best indicator whether you've been poisoned because they'll stay in your hair. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said he had normal arsenic levels like everybody else. So, nope, that wasn't it. So, and you know, it's kind of funny in that same family plot, he had a son that actually fought for the Confederacy. And he actually approached Jefferson Davis with a, a scheme, a plan to kidnap the president of the United States. And Jefferson <laughs> Davis told him, said, no, that's that's not how we fight a war. So he kind of brushed that aside. But, uh, yeah. Wow. But, uh, yeah, and there's actually as uh, one of Zachary Taylor, another one of his sons is actually buried at Cave Hill. 
Uh-huh. Now, Cave Hill Cemetery, there's an interesting story on that one. Uh, when Zachary Taylor died, they had the presidential committee were looking for a burial site for Zachary Taylor. Well, they approached Cave Hill Cemetery and said, we would like to bury him at Cave Hill. And they actually uh, took out a spot for him. It's right before you get to the National Cemetery in Cave Hill. And um, they had the whole plot for him. It's now the Atwood plot. But uh, they were getting ready to bury him there, and then they said, the, the presidential committee said, you have to change one thing. And they said, what is that? You have to change your name. You have to change it to the Zachary Taylor National Cemetery. And Cave Hill said no. So wow. that's why he's buried at the Zachary Taylor National Cemetery. <laughs> now, Zachary Taylor Cemetery was on the Zachary Taylor property. Is that is that correct? That's correct. What you, or, mm-hmm. I mean, at some point. I know his house is still standing, which is a private residence. Yes, that is and correct. And it's kind of, the cemetery kind of backs up to that, uh, if yeah, I remember uh, correct. As yeah, you're on the road, the Locust Grove, road, yeah. Like you're going down yeah. the Locust Grove, uh, the home yep. of where George mm-hmm. Rogers Clark spent his last years with his, what, sister? Um, but uh, yeah, I was always... family. Excuse me? The Crone family. Yes, yep. uh-huh. And in that cemetery there at Zachary Taylor national cemetery isn't that is that a lot of military burials in there oh yeah uh, mostly from span in world war one world war two all the way up until uh, to present day um mm-hmm. but it towards the very back is where zachary taylor has his mausoleum and then they've got this it's kind of funny they got this huge obelisk talking about all the wars that zachary taylor fought in and a lot of them were the mexican war all listed on there and they didn't know how to spell Chapultepec. So it's, <laughs> it's misspelled on there. <laughs> well, well, but yeah, Cave Hill Cemetery. Oh my gosh. It's literally the who's who of Louisville. Uh, now they I've managed to find 11 generals alone that are buried in Cave Hill Cemetery, both union and Confederate mm-hmm. uh, general Shackelford is buried there. Of course, that's, you know, uh, let's see uh, Morgan captured him and then, Shackelford captured Morgan. <laughs> um, that was an interesting dichotomy between the two. Um, right. Confederate uh, General William Preston is buried there. Uh, Confederate General William Preston Johnston is buried there. That's Albert Sidney Johnston's son, which he has an, a fascinating history in and of himself because um, William Preston Johnston um, at he was in the Confederacy, of course. He helped start, you know, some of the regiments of the Orphan Brigade. And then after the war, um, and generals we've never heard of, General Robert E. Lee said, well, how would you like to help me with a university? Well, it became Washington Lee University, and he became a law professor there, William Preston Johnston. And then um, Louisiana State University was wanting to start a new branch off of that university and asked William Preston Johnson if he'd be first president, and it became Tulane University. Huh. Wow. So he's the first president of Tulane. Well, you know, Brian, when I was out in St. Louis um, some years ago, uh, I was looking for uh, Susan Shelby McGoffin, who was from Harrodsburg, Kentucky, and she uh-huh. went west, and, and I told this on a podcast. We did a podcast about her. And I won't repeat it, but anyway, she went west and um, on the, on the trade with her husband, the McGoffin brothers, and 
uh, she was buried in St. Louis Cemetery, and I wanted to get a picture of her grave, so I went in there. It, and I'm sorry, not St. Louis Cemetery. It was uh, Bella Fontaine, I believe is the— Oh, Bella Fontaine? Yeah, Bella I know Fontaine. about that one. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, while I was in there, guess who—I'm uh, driving, looking for around. I found the, the, some of the mountain men, uh, Sublette, William Sublette, and some of the guys that went west that we read about, Rocky Mountain Trappers and, and so forth. And lo and behold, I looked over, and there was Don Carlos Buell's grave, who was the general, Union general at the Battle of Parable. Oh, the Army of the Howl. Yep. Yeah, he's buried there. <laughs> and that really struck me. I, I had no idea he had any connections out there. But uh, Oh, I, don't I, know was, how that... I was related how they're all intermarried with William Preston is related to William Preston Johnston. And, uh, of, of course, the um, there's also a guy, gentleman from the Mexican War that's buried there, and it's just amazing how all these inter- families are interconnected in Louisville. Well, you, but, know, uh, you know, all, the, the thing we have about Kentucky is that there's a lot of family trees, but not a whole lot of branches, you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. And I tell you, it's just amazing where stuff will take you. Like my latest book that will be coming out in the spring is going to be on uh, Louisville, and it's gambling from 1860 to 1885. And you may ask yourself, well, why did you pick that time period? Well, that's when Louisville was famous. They actually called Louisville the Monaco of America. And they called it the gambler's paradise. And this all stemmed, and was, this is with the Civil War, because you got to keep in mind Louisville, like the 1862 campaign, you had 90,000 Union soldiers camped in a city. Um, that had a population of about 60,000. So um, you got these young soldiers with money in their pocket, uh, and then they started these gambling halls in Louisville during the Civil War. And, of wow. course, you know, we already had gambling because of horse racing. You have the Oakland Racetrack well, Brian, that was what, out there. What comes to my mind, doing the riverboat history, and uh, Stuart Sanders' book, Murder on the Ohio Bell, uh, mm-hmm. is all the riverboat gamblers. You know, there was guys that plied the trade on the riverboats, which were based out of Louisville. You know, the Howard Steamboat Company was right there out of Louisville. They manufactured, you know, steamboats for years. Uh, By the way, he's buried in Cave Cemetery. Yeah, yeah. Uh, fell off a dock, didn't he? Didn't he fall off uh, What ended ground? up happening, he was taking a ferry. Yeah, you are correct. He would take a ferry from Louisville over to Jeffersonville, Indiana, to his beautiful home. Um, in Indiana, and one time, see these ferries would carry everything. They would, mm-hmm. and this one happened to have um, cows on it. And by mistake, the boy that was on the steamboat was supposed to lock the gate. And of course, he brought on his carriage with his horses, and the horses got spooked and backed his carriage up, and the gate opened up. And before you know it, the whole carriage fell in there with Mr. Howard and. Uh, unfortunately he was wearing a very heavy wool coat and it weighed him down. And unfortunately he drowned. Mm. Yeah. I've been to his house. My son lives in Jeffersonville and I've been to that house. It's a magnificent place and I highly recommend people go there. Uh, Oh, I I do too. They got some really rare stuff in there like stuff from the general Robert E. Lee, uh, some of the wood, wood paneling from it. And great. They've got, uh, Oh, definitely. But you're right about the riverboat gamblers. They they so, sought out Louisville, and it would be nothing 
for them to play $75,000 on the table at one play, that's a lot of money back then. Oh, yeah. Yes. And then on top of it, sometimes they would have gambler duels where they would literally play sometimes three days in a row. They take a little bit of a nap, get up, and then continue right where they were. Um, and some of these ga- riverboat gamblers were serious people. I mean, there's a story about a gambler shop. Here's the Civil War connection again. This gentleman, he was from England, and he ran cotton through the blockade. And with all that money he made through the Confederacy, smuggling all this cotton out, he decided to open up a gambling hall. Well, he should have studied up on his gambling because here comes a riverboat gambler saying, ooh, fresh meat. And they wiped him out of a million and a half dollars in six months. Oh, wow. Yeah. Mm. He went flat broke. (laughs) But uh, And here's the uh, connection with uh, Harrodsburg. Um, one of the famous gamblers, uh, was, uh, Chin. His name was Black Jack Chin. Yes. And he owned a, as you probably know about him, Harold. I've heard of uh, that. Now, I don't know a lot about him, Brian, but I've heard that, you know, knowing a lot of Mercer County history and studying that stuff, Black Jack Chin, I may have seen a picture of him or something, or something comes to mind when you mention it. Was that, uh, was that George Chin's? Grandfather? Father. father. That was his father. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I got you. Yeah, George Chin, yeah, he's the one that invented the M37 grenade launcher. Yes. Uh, but his father, um, Blackjack Chin, now his brother actually served for the Confederacy and died during the Civil War, and he's buried in, if you're not familiar with Harrodsburg, uh, he's buried along with most of his kin over there at the Spring Hill Cemetery in Harrodsburg, mm-hmm. along with the governor, too, Brian McGoffin. Right. Um, but, uh, yeah, Blackjack Chin, um, he had a stock farm in Harrodsburg and he had a, a Kentucky Derby winner, Leonidas. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's actually a marker in Harrodsburg talking about that. It's in that park, um, in Harrodsburg near the hospital. Uh-huh. I don't know if you've ever been to it here, but it's a, an odd park. There's one grave, just one grave yes, in there. About the lady. Because there was a hotel there. Yeah. yeah, and the lady died and nobody yeah. knew her name. Right. But right next to that is the historical society sign talking about Leonidas and Blackjack Chin. Now, he was real big in a horse uh, raising, but he also was a huge gambler. And. <laughs> As most gamblers did, they were well-armed. They always had a pistol on them, and they always had a knife on them. And he had a knife. It was almost like a, um, uh, how to explain it, like a um, switchblade, except it had a seven-inch blade in it. Oh, wow. <laughs> he would have it strapped to his back, and he would have it set up just the right way. If he was in trouble, he'd click his arm, and then that blade would slide down to his uh, hand, and then he would flip it out. And he said he had to use it. He, he said, you know, the people that I did kill, well, they deserved it. But <laughs> <laughs> And here's a fascinating uh, subject for you. Um, you know, they've never been able to solve the murder mystery of uh, Governor Goble. Right. Um, well, he was standing right next to Goble when he was assassinated. He actually took out his pistol, I, was yeah. trying to look for who assassinated him. I remember that, yes, in, in, in that faction. And I believe uh, our old buddy Frank James used to, Blackjack Chin was friends with him. He As an old man, he would come and start horse races around That's uh, right. our yeah. area. Yeah. 
Yeah. And not only that, uh, there was a reunion and that I don't want to take too much time, but there's a, fa- if you go to Spring Hill Cemetery there in the Confederate section, there is a multi tombstone with all these different names of guys that rode with Quantrell. And at one point, some of them broke off and, and talked their mouths too much in one of the taverns saying who they're riding with before you know it, the union uh, cavalry caught up and there was a gunfight and four of them were killed. And they were originally buried at, uh, Oh, there's a Baptist church right outside of Harrodsburg, about two miles outside of Harrodsburg. Well, they Oakland decided church. to yeah. re that's right. Yeah, You're right. Church. Oakland. Yeah, yes, families, that's it. Yeah. The families throw the fit about those guys being buried there with their family. They didn't want that faction right. buried with them. So yeah, they moved them to spring Hill. Yeah. That's right. They moved to Spring Hill yeah, and James H. Frank was, yeah, that's right. And Frank was supposed to come to the dedication ceremony, but unfortunately he couldn't make it. Um, but he did write a very long letter that was published in the newspaper uh, talking about what happened to the four guys and how they were captured and how he, <laughs> he himself was almost captured. Um right. But, uh, yeah, it's a fascinating story. And I'm going to have that all in my new book on the gambling history of Louisville. I got a whole chapter just on old Blackjack Chin. I think one of those fam- one of those guys that was killed, it was one of Quantrell's men, was at Nolan. And yes, you're and right, Bill family, Nolan. Yeah, mm-hmm. their family uh, came from Missouri. I, I used to give uh, tours of, the, of Quantrell sites around Kentucky, and we call oh, it the Gorilla Tour. And, uh uh, they never knew where he was buried, and it just really, really helped them to find that grave. Uh, we don't know exactly which grave is him, but we know he's one of the four. And uh, yeah. I think they put some marker, a dedicated dedication ceremony some time back. I believe I was over there. I have to remember, uh, put some markers up to him. But, uh, yeah, it's a yeah. granite tombstone with all the names on it. Yes, I think yes. there's six names on it. Yeah, you know. I was there that day they dedicated that. Um, mm-hmm. Well, it's been a great uh, fun. We got to do it again, Brian. We got too many stories, oh, not enough time. I've truly uh, I enjoyed I this because I feel like I've received a, a PhD tonight. Listen, you two go back and forth on this. <laughs> I, I really do. It, 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 to me, this is a, a fun podcast. It's really good. Brian, where can folks find your books? They can find it on Amazon. Uh, they can find them on eBay. Um, that's the best place to, to find them. And I think uh, thrift ever... books or something there's on there. I, I, when I was doing some research on you, I found out thrifty books or thrift books or something. I think they're, that's yeah, where I they, come up they with they the 11. So often with, yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Know. They'll carry some of my out of print ones. And, and people go on a books, ABE books for out of print books. Yep. Uh, that's, that's a good correct. site. I do a lot of searching on that site. You can just put you in the author. You, you may not know the name of the book or exactly how it's because you got to spell it exactly or it won't come up usually, but you just put in the author's name. A lot of times it'll come up, but, uh, that's a good site too. And you get yeah. all books, sellers from all over the country. Yeah. All over and, the world. And if you, if you just type in my name, I have my, uh, I couldn't believe enough to find out myself. I got my own IMBD page. Uh, right. And it lists all my books on there. So, and it's B R Y A N. Yes, B R Y A N B U S H. Don't do it with an I. You won't find me. Yeah. <laughs> um, also, when you finish this new book, please reach out to Harold, and we'll do another podcast just on your on your new book. Oh, we'll do. We'll do. Yeah, we that'd be fun because we don't want to spoil it. We want you to sell books, but we want to tell the story yet. But once the book comes out, well, and uh, people have a chance to read it, then we'll. We'll uh, talk about it. How about that? 
Oh, that sounds good. All right. Thank you, Brian. Thank you, Brian. I really appreciate it. Thank you all having me. I really appreciate you. Glad you did. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for being part of Uncommon History Podcast. If you'd like to support our podcast, please share our podcast with your family and friends. Make sure to subscribe for free on Spotify, Apple, Amazon Music, iHeart Music, and we're on YouTube. And you can always subscribe on your favorite podcast listening app. And if you listen to our podcast on Apple, please leave a five-star review and a comment. This will help our podcast grow. To find out more about the podcast and keep up with what we're doing, we're always on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and now we're on TikTok. And don't forget, we have a store full of merch with T-shirts and different things. Uncommon History of the South is created and produced by Harold Edwards and Brian Wolford.